So uh, let me intro this passage for us tonight. Uh, it's a little bit of a, a long introduction because um, if you just opened up your Bible or if you uh, picked up that pamphlet in front of you or the bulletin or whatever and read that, you might be thinking that's the meanest and maybe weirdest thing that Jesus has ever said. Um, it seems like he's like totally dissing on this. <laughs> dissing, wow. Sorry, 1984 came back. Um, he's like saying this thing to this woman that doesn't make any sense. So let me try and make sense of it for us in advance, and then we'll read it and talk about it. Um, what's really important for us to get uh, in this part of Mark's gospel, and I'm actually going to read from Matthew's version of this account because he gives some more details that I think are helpful. But let's pretend like we're in Mark. Uh, so to this point in Mark's gospel, um, Jesus has been doing amazing things, uh, miracles, healing people, um, preaching and teaching, and people are coming to him in droves, crowds and crowds. Uh, but some people are beginning to not like Jesus too much. Uh, the super religious, uh, very airtight theology Pharisees and, um, and the leaders in the Jewish uh, temple, the, the Jewish kind of sect, uh, they are starting to get angry with Jesus. And the reason for that is this, is that Jesus to this point is, is confusing for them. He's blowing their categories about who their Messiah would be. So on one sense, Jesus was extremely Jewish in, his, uh, in the way that he set out into the world. He was born into a Jewish family. Uh, he went to the temple every time he could or the synagogue and worshipped. Um, he would abide by the regulations and the, and the laws in terms of all that meant around the temple uh, early on. But as of late, after Jesus begins his public ministry, he starts doing things that are unsettling. He's a little bit liberal around the edges for some of their likings. And we've seen that uh, in the way that Jesus came and started doing some things on the Sabbath that the really strict religious leaders said was a no-can-do. And then last week, if you were here, great. If you weren't, fine. Last week we saw that Jesus began to mess with their, their cleanliness laws. And that sounds like... You know, crazy talk for us. It doesn't really matter. Uh, you can go back and listen to what we said about it on the podcast. But uh, basically what Jesus is doing is he's coming and he's not following all their kind of traditions. And he's not doing everything like what the, uh, the good Jews of the day were doing or the Pharisees. And they start to kind of cast doubt on him and say, I, I don't know about this guy. I don't know if we can trust him. I I think, in fact, that we ought to start planning on how to get rid of him. And this passage tonight is thoroughly Jewish in kind of what's happening. Jesus had gathered these disciples to him. They were out preaching and teaching with him. And Jesus is here with his disciples. And he has a very, very interesting interchange with this woman. And so if last week's talk was about what to do with the clean laws and the food laws and all that stuff, the teaching on it today and tonight's uh, talk and, and is going to be about the illustration. It's going to be an illustration to that teaching. Jesus is about to take us front and center with someone who is unclean. Okay, so let's, uh, let's read this passage together, uh, again, from Matthew instead of Mark, but it's, uh, it's basically the exact same account. I just borrowed from Matthew this time. 
This is God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Let me pray for us real quick before we look at it. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would send your spirit to help us to understand it rightly. And that you would then uh, use your spirit uh, and apply it to our hearts so that we might be changed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I'm not uh, much of an artist at all. Uh, If you know me uh, at any level, you probably know that. That makes it sound like you should know that about me. You may not know that about me. I'm not an artist. I don't really know what to do with good art. I don't know really how to appreciate the intricacies and the layers and the depth and the symbolism of art. I just don't know. Uh, In high school, I read Ernest Hemingway's The Old Man and the Sea, which is perhaps the most clearly symbolic piece of writing that ever was. Like the whale's body goes up on the shore and ends up in a cross, and I just missed that that was supposed to be about Jesus. Um, I, I just have a heart. I have a very simple mind, maybe. Thank you. Um, but I do know when I walk outside and you see like an October sunset in Oklahoma, it's just beautiful. And the purples and the pinks and the oranges and everything that's happening this guy is unbelievable. And I know that when I go to the mountains in Colorado, I, I love to ski. I know that when, when the mountains come into to view and they're snow-capped in and, and all of their beauty, I know that that is beautiful. I know beauty when I see it. I don't often know how to go with the layers and the complexity, complexities to real good art. Well, tonight we see a picture of something that is beautiful at face value. But unless we know how to understand it, we might not even see it. So let's take a few moments and let's walk with this woman who comes to Jesus and lays out her plea before him. And let's see her beautiful, basic, simple, and true faith. The way that we're going to do this tonight is uh, Jesus gives us a parable. And so the way that it's best to kind of do this is I'm going to walk through this passage almost step by step. It's going to feel maybe a little more teachy, but that really is kind of what's required to get the full impact of what he's saying. So first thing I want us to see is simply the woman's plea. And we find that in verses 22 through 25. I'm not going to reread them, but what's going on here is this. Remember from last week, Jesus had set up this whole uh, system of, of clean and unclean, and Jesus was saying, no, look, what makes you clean and unclean has not anything to do with what's around you. That whether you wash your hands at a certain time or whether you eat that food, he's like, that stuff was never meant to, to point anything out about itself. It's meant to drive you inward to your heart 
and to say, look, what's actually at fault here is my heart. That my heart is what's making me unclean before God. Well, here then is a demonstration of that. Because this woman is in the area of Tyre and Sidon. What is Tyre and Sidon? Tyre and Sidon is thoroughly Canaanite land. What is Canaanite? The Canaanites were outright and utter pagans. They were not good God people. These uh, massive archaeological finds have found that different tribes in Canaan, they've unearthed massive graves from where they would sacrifice their children to appease their gods. They would do all kinds of things. They were not good people. And Jesus is up there in this land because he's trying to get some rest. He's been relentlessly ministering amongst the Jews in Judea. And he's out there to rest. He's exhausted. And Mark says in his account that Jesus goes into a house to rest, but this woman comes into the house. So what do we know about her? Well, she's from that area. So that means right off the bat that she is, she is not a Jewish person. And the significance of that is, according to all the Jewish laws and regulations and stuff, which she would have known about, given their proximity to Judea, that meant that she really wasn't permitted to interact with the Jewish people of that day. There was this strict cultural barrier there. And that would, if Jesus was a woman, she still couldn't have. There was no kind of intersection of those things. And to take that a step further... Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher. No Gentile at all, whether you were male or female or whatever, were you supposed to come and talk to a Jewish rabbi. That was like for sure no-go. So she's a woman in that extremely conservative culture. She's uh, a Gentile. She's pagan. She's from uh, a background. Her family was not Worshipping the God of the Bible, they had done terrible things in their distant past and who knows, maybe recent past. And lastly, her daughter has an unclean spirit. So her proximity to her daughter probably would have made her kind of Jewishly unclean on another level. So basically, this woman has about three or four strikes against her in terms of her uncleanliness and why she shouldn't be permitted to be in Jesus' presence. But what does she do? She doesn't care. She doesn't care about all the Jewish ritual hoopla and hoops that she should be doing. She just doesn't care. Mark says that she had found out about Jesus. And Matthew here says that she comes to Jesus and says, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. That title is this huge title from the Old Testament of who the Messiah would be. At some level, she understands that Jesus is that Messiah. He is the one who Israel was hoping for. I get that. And so she was coming to Jesus, begging him and saying, Look, my daughter has an unclean spirit. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on my family. Please, Jesus, do something. Look, she is not a crazy woman. She's a parent. You can ask almost any parent in the world, and they would say, I will do anything for my children, unless they're a terrible parent. I will do anything for my children. I don't care how much the doctor bills are. We want to get them healed. I don't care if I have to travel around the world. We will do what it takes. How many of you all have seen Taken with Liam Neeson? 
Holy moly. (laughs) That movie is intense. The famous phone call uh, that he makes after the people kidnap his daughter, he gets on the phone and says, (laughs) I I don't know who you are, I don't know where you are, but I have a very uh, special set of skills, and I will come and find you, and when I find you, I will kill you. He's saying, you have my daughter, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get her back. And this woman is under that same impulse. She cares about her daughter. She doesn't care about all the things she should or shouldn't be doing with Jesus. She is coming and she is begging. The word there for begging is keeps on begging. She is persistent. She is is at Jesus' feet. Help me. Have mercy on me. I will do anything. And so what does Jesus do? Nothing. It says that Jesus did not answer her a word. I wonder if you've ever felt like that from Jesus. That something big is going on, some life event, a sickness, or or some big deadline, or something, and you're crying out, Lord, help me, have mercy on me, help me. And it just seems like radio silence, like there's nothing there. What do we do with that? What do we do when Jesus, the God of love, who is caring and compassion, all this, what do we do when he doesn't act according to what we think he would do, or he doesn't say what we think he would say? We would do well to learn from this woman. In the meantime, however, the disciples are getting annoyed with her because she's persistently begging. And they look at Jesus and say, Jesus, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Now, if you've been um, keeping up with where we've been uh, going the last several weeks, you'll begin to think, the disciples have said things like this before. They are impatient with Jesus in scenarios like this where he's doing stuff. And I actually find this to be extremely comforting. And here's why. The Bible doesn't make any attempts to try to paint the disciples in a really great light. They actually, Matthew was a disciple. He's writing about himself. He's incriminating himself when he writes this. He's like, look, we were annoyed with Jesus. This woman was begging. Jesus, we wanted to send her away. He didn't. Like, this is frustrating. They weren't trying to, you know, uh, you'd think if Matthew was trying to just write this thing and shed himself in a good light, that he would have said something different. But he didn't. He said, Jesus, send her away. She doesn't know who you are. She's breaking all the rules here. And what Jesus says next, you would actually think that goes into kind of playing into the disciples' hand. Because he looks down, uh, look down with me. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the disciples at that point are high-fiving each other and they're saying, yeah, that's right. You did, Jesus. You came for us Jews and here is this unclean woman. Get rid of her. But what's Jesus saying? I would suggest that he was not being racist. He was not being a nationalist right here. Jesus was simply being obedient to the mission that God had sent him to do. Over and over again in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we will hear Jesus say things like this right here, that I came for the people of Israel. That I came to minister to them. And that's why we always see Jesus Jesus in the synagogues and talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Because He is coming to them. God sent Him to, in essence, 
Tell the nation of Israel that I am your Messiah. That I am the culmination of your prophets and your priests and your kings and the temple and the sacrifices. That is me. Believe in me. And so Jesus came and he did all these things amongst the Israelites, the Jewish people. But he's not a racist. He's not a nationalist. How do we know that? Because as soon as Jesus is raised from the dead, what's the first thing he says to the disciples in the Great Commission? Go to all the nations. That the Jews largely missed it. That's okay. We knew they would. Now we're opening this up to the whole world. Go out to everyone. And her, her response to Jesus is staggering. Because after he says this, instead of walking off, cowering in the corner and saying, well, he'll never love me. I'm not, in Israel. I'm not an Israelite. She keeps begging. She keeps pressing him, saying, Lord, help me. Help me. I know who you are. I know that you are kind. I know that you are compassionate. She is so far less concerned with how she's presenting herself. She is begging. She is on the ground at this point before Jesus, help me. And this is so much different than an annoying kid begging their parent, Mom, can I? No. Mom, can I please? No. Mom, please? No. Mom, please? No. Mom, please? Fine. Shut up. (laughs) Right? Like Jesus doesn't just give in because he's annoyed with her. This is the picture of someone who has heard about Jesus. And who has heard of his Lord, of his mercy and kindness. And she is going all in on this fact that you are good, that you are merciful, and that you are gracious. And I'm throwing my whole being at that. I don't care about what people think about me. I need help, and you're the one who can help me. Jesus' response to this. He says, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Word there for dogs is literally little dogs or puppies. We'll get to puppies in just a second. (laughs) On first glimpse, this looks like a giant insult. It looks like Jesus is like, "Uh, get out of here, you little dog. Jesus is a parable, though, and Jesus is talking in a metaphor, which a parable is just an extended metaphor. So what does this mean? Well, children here, maybe obviously, is Israel. These are the people of Israel. Jesus is essentially affirming what he's been saying already, that that I came to the Israelites. I came to convince them that I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior of the world, that they should believe in me. That's who I came for. What is a dog or a puppy? Gentiles were often referred to as dogs by the Jewish people. Now, we love dogs. You came tonight because I told you there would be puppies, maybe, but maybe not. We love Goldie. How many of you all have dogs at home? Yeah. Um, We love our dogs. They love us. No matter what we do, they love us. But in that culture... Dogs were not loved. If you've ever been to maybe a third world country or a developing country, you know that dogs, for the most part, are vile, uncouth, unclean scavengers. They eat trash. Um, they're, They're not the household pet that we tend to think of. 
And so the Jewish people had very, in a very ugly way, had referred to the Gentiles or the non-Jews as dogs. It was a very pejorative term. And so Jesus seemingly is looking at her and saying, you are a dog. <laughs> you are nasty. You are unclean. But Tim Keller says something about this that I think is very insightful and very helpful. He says this. Jesus' parable can be read this way. You know how families eat, that the children come to the table and they eat first, and then the puppies or the dogs, they come up and clean up the scraps after dinner. That's what happens at our houses. And he said, that's basically what Jesus is saying, that he's not going to violate that order. I came for the Jews first. And yes, it would be true that eventually the gospel message would go out far and wide to all the Gentile, to all the dogs of the world. But I came for my people first. And the woman responds to this unbelievably. This is the best response in the world to what Jesus said there. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Here's what she's saying. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. I understand that I'm not an Israelite. I understand that I haven't worshipped at the temple. I understand that my family is dirty. I understand my family hasn't been in church. I understand there's all kinds of, of blackness in my history. I don't know the Bible. I don't deserve a place at this table. I get it. But Lord, you know as well as I do that there is more than enough at your table even for this dog. Friends, this woman understood exactly what Jesus is saying. She's saying, Jesus, I know that my background is not the right background. I know that I've done things that are unclean. I know that I'm unclean. My daughter's unclean. I'm of an unclean people. I don't belong at your table. But you're good. You're kind. You're gracious. Help me, Jesus. Jesus answered her saying, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. This woman gets the gospel in the most dramatic way of anyone yet to this point in the semester. And this is why she gets it so deeply. A lot of times at RUF we'll say that there are two parts to the gospel. The first part is this sense that we have to own that, that I'm unworthy, that I am unclean, that I don't deserve God, that I'm more wicked and sinful and whatever than I ever dared to think. This woman gets that. She owns it and says, I'm a dog. I get it. Jesus, I don't deserve, at, deserve to be at your table. She can't look at any kind of spirituality in her life and say, aren't you impressed? Because he wouldn't be impressed. She owns who she is. But she also comes to Jesus and says, but you're a good master. But you are a good master, and I'm throwing myself on your mercy. Will you give me something that I don't deserve? On the basis of your goodness. That's such a huge thing for us to understand, for all of us to understand. 
that this woman is not coming to Jesus saying, here's who I am, here's what I've done, now won't you reward me? Now won't you heal my daughter? She is saying, here's who I am. I I get it. Just you would be fine. You would be doing right to, to give me nothing. You owe me nothing. But here's who you are. You are gracious. You love to give gifts that people don't deserve. And that is at the heart of the gospel. She trusts Him against all odds, and Jesus is amazed at her faith. Great is your faith, she says. So let's think about how to apply that for us for a few minutes. That first half of her saying... I get it. I'm broken. I'm unclean. I messed up. I've screwed up. For you, what does that uncleanness looks like? Look like? How have you screwed up? In what ways can you look at Jesus rightly and say, "I don't deserve it. I know that I have done these things. I know that I am regularly getting drunk, Jesus. I know that I'm using my body in a way that you haven't intended me to use it." I know that I'm looking down on others and being self-righteous toward them and judging them and hating them in my heart. I know, Jesus. I know. That's who I am. That's what I bring to the table. And what's super interesting about what this lady does is that she doesn't let that knowledge of herself and her uncleanness drive her to shame and self-despair into a place where she's saying, Ah, I'm too unlovable. I'm too far gone. Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with me. She has a healthy understanding of her sin and her brokenness. And instead of it driving her off to that end and saying, nope, I'm too far gone, which is a form of pride. It's a weird, twisted form of pride that I'm too much for Jesus to do anything with. No, you're not. Jesus can do anything with anyone. And so she takes that and she owns it. And she comes to Jesus very plainly and says, be gracious to me. She doesn't say, let me go work it off for you. She says, will you give me something I don't deserve? That's at the heart of the gospel. In what ways are you like the disciples in this text? Because the disciples, if you look back, right, they're still not getting it. They are still repelled by people who have messed up. Are you... When people mess up, when people sin against you or hurt you or hurt others or do stupid things, are you trying to distance yourself from them as much as possible? Still not understanding like the disciples here that Jesus actually does love those kind of people? And so maybe that ought to begin to to change the way we think about those people. And furthermore, what if we are those people? That's what this passage is driving all of us to see is that that nobody gets to come to Jesus and say, I'm clean on my own. Do you understand that Jesus has been kind and gracious and merciful to you? You are the woman. You're the outsider who has been brought in and declared to be clean. What about this woman's faith or the basics of what she's saying in uh, in in? Showing us here the basics of this truth for you. Have mercy on me. It's the cry of a beggar. Do you come to Jesus out of your low position and say, have mercy on me, Jesus? 
Help me. I don't deserve it. Or do you demand of Him? Do you plead with God? Do you plead with Him on the basis of His character, not on the basis of something good that you're doing for Him? God, I know who you are. I know that you're good. I know that you have a perfect plan. Please put that into place and help me to understand that. Help me to see that coming around me. Do you know yourselves to be unworthy, not deserving anything from Him? Do you come to Him in your neediness? Right? Oftentimes when we've screwed up or we've done something that we shouldn't do or we know we, we didn't want to do but we've done, we come to Him out of our shame and say, oh, Jesus, I'm, I guess if you'll throw me a bone, it would be cool. Or do you come to Him and say, I'm needy. I'm needy again. I need you to have mercy on me, Jesus. And do you know, like this woman, that He is full of grace? That He is abundant in His grace? We don't deserve what He gives. If you have ever thought that about the gospel, if it's ever sunk down into your heart and you're just like, this is too good to be true, that I bring Him all of my junk, all of my crap and messiness, and He says you get everything, that I'm going to take care of your sin, that I'm going to declare you to be righteous in my sight, that I'm going to give you an inheritance with me in eternity... Unless you've had the thought, that's too good to be true. Don't I have to work for it? Don't I have to earn it? Unless you've had that thought, I don't know if you're a Christian. But if you are thinking, that is too good. It's too good to be true. Then I would say that you are probably a Christian. Because Christians understand that I can't do anything to merit His favor. I am the woman. I am the beggar. I am pleading with Him to have mercy on me. If you find yourself thinking, I bring Him my need, He gives me His grace, this is too good. And I want you to hear Jesus look at you and say, great is your faith. You get it. The grace of the gospel is that good, y'all. It is that good. Let's pray that you would believe it. Lord, I pray that we would believe this message. And I pray that we would receive this simple faith. That we are needy and that you love needy people. You don't require us to do all sorts of things before we come to you. You just ask us to come to you. And I pray that that would work in our hearts and transform us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.